This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by Charleston Orwig. They love you, they love you not. They love you, they love you not. They love you, they love you not. Sometimes how others view your business can be confusing and unfair. Charleston Orwig can help you better understand and protect your name. Take control of your company's reputation by visiting charlestonorwig.com. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Dr. Jerry Hatfield, thank you very much for joining us as a guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. Well, thank you, Ken. You have a background in agronomy and climatology, an experience that goes back to the 1970s. Do you see change in the conditions under which farmers are operating or the potential for change in the environment in the near-term future? Oh, yes, Ken. I, and I think what we're going to see, if you look at where we've been and, and where we're at and, and kind of where we're going, is that what I've been prepping farmers to begin to understand is that we're probably going to move back into a period of much more variable weather, both in temperature as well as precipitation. If you look back through our, our yield trends since the 1950s, you know, we had periods in which we had very stable yield years. Uh, we didn't have a lot of variation in yield, uh, even though we're on an upward trend. And then we went through an extremely volatile period during the, the mid-1970s, and we kind of settled back down. And I think we're going back into a period in which we're going to see a lot of fluctuation uh, in yields from year to year, uh, 2012 being an example. Uh, you know, 2011, we had some hits on yield at the end of the season because of dry weather, you know, I think that we'll kind of rebound. But I think that farmers need to be prepared for uh, much more variability in the weather in which they're farming around. Does this indicate that it's man-made climate change, or we can just go back through the 20th century and map out almost exactly what you're saying as far as the variability of years? Well, it, you know, I think that this becomes the interesting question, you know, is uh, this entirely man-made or is it, it cycles? I think it's a combination of two things. Uh, I think we've got the natural cycles, and I think what man is doing, humans are doing, uh, are adding to the, maybe the strength of those signals. Uh, you know, we may see even greater extremes because of, you know, the additional CO2 that we've added, the water vapor we've added. I think that we need to be prepared for just much more variability about our weather. Are we as American farmers um, capable of handling this variability or at least better than we handled it in previous times? Oh, I, I think so. And I think the reason that, that we may be better prepared uh, to handle some of this uh, is predicated on a couple things. Uh, and I keep telling producers that one of the major things we have across the Midwest and even the Great Plains, is that we built our agricultural system around capturing water, uh, storing it in the soil profile, and putting it back through that crop uh, as it, in terms of transpiration. And so we need to make sure that our soils are set up in such a way that we are maximizing infiltration, maximizing water storage, uh, reducing the evaporation, and, and what that really is leading to is much more uh, adaptation of conservation tillage to be able to provide the soil water that drives this crop. 
So do you believe farmers can do a better job of catching the water that falls than they're doing today? Oh, I, I definitely believe that. I think that we need to be refocusing on an effort to uh, maximize our infiltration rates and maximize our water storage. I see a lot of runoff off of fields uh, that I think is unnecessary runoff because we don't have our, our soils prepped uh, in such a way to absorb that water. And once water runs off the edge of the field, I really can't put it back through that crop in terms of, of crop water use. The trend line on corn production shows a fairly steep upward slope. Do you think we can achieve that projection in years ahead? We, we can achieve that project, projection in years ahead if, <laughs> and I'll put the if out. Um, and the if is that we've got to link that with soil management. Uh, I think we're at kind of a tipping point in a lot of our fields that we don't have that water available to them. And when we don't have water, we don't make good use of the nitrogen we put on. Uh, we don't make good use of the genetics that we've put in that field. And so what I've been working around is a concept that we talk about genetics by environment by management interactions. And, you know, even the best genetics, if we don't put them in the, uh, the best management situation, aren't going to uh, achieve their full potential. Uh, and, you know, you go back to 2012. I mean, we took some very uh, heavy yield knocks uh, on corn and soils that just weren't able to, to supply the water and nutrients to that plant when they needed it. So we did really see a difference between good soils and poor soils in 2012. And I think we'll see even more of those as we go into the future uh, of not being able to have this uh, the soil prepped in such a way and managed in such a way that allows uh, the genetics to really express themselves. Dr. Hatfield, do you believe uh, biotechnology will continue to show benefits for production agriculture? Oh, I, I think so. I think that biotech will continue to add to this, but I don't believe that biotech by itself is the solution. It's got to be put in that overall agricultural system. Uh, and that's why I say you've got the genetics by environment, by management. Uh, I can't take the best genetics and put it into uh, a soil that uh, doesn't have water available to it or doesn't have the rooting depth uh, available to that allow that plant to express itself. Uh, you know, so all of these things have got to be linked together. And so I think we kind of work in an era that, oh, if I put these genetics out here, uh, everything's going to be fine. Uh, I think we're going to have to be much more systematic in our understanding of how all these things fit together. Well, in saying that, agriculture now is trying to be extremely accurate in its application of its inputs. Everybody is measuring their output and trying to uh, crunch those numbers. Um, talking about your limiting factors, do you think that accuracy helps us to understand what the limiting factors are and how to better do a, an efficient job of producing our crops? <laughs> it's it's interesting you make that uh, that question and everything because uh, one of the focus, focuses that, that I've been working on, and I think we need to even focus on more, is the efficiency of crop production. What are we getting out of that crop in terms of the inputs that we put into it? Uh, and I use water use efficiency, I use nutrient use efficiency, even light capture efficiency. You know, how much light has that crop absorbed during the growing season relative to yield out there? Well, 
all of those things combined together give us an understanding of how well we're doing on that. But it also gives us an understanding of how different parts of that field are responding. Uh, it gives us a much better way of looking and saying, here's the way we need to precisely manage our inputs, but also the why of how we manage those inputs. Because I think for producers, uh, we want them to understand Here's the value of making this decision. Here's the value of, of bringing these pieces together. And this is uh, the expected, I won't say the expected point, but the expected uh, band of, of results that you might achieve. Uh, and a lot of this goes back to when you look at field variation of yield across the field, uh, you know, we see all these different yields that are out there, and you can begin to parse that out. Some of this is going to have to start with uh, first improving the soil uh, and then adding the additional management inputs on top of that to be able to improve the overall field average. Well, in saying that, uh, I know you're working from the bottom up, meaning the soil's got to be ready before the crop can really accomplish the goals we have for it. Some of the seed companies are saying that we would need to go to as many as 60,000 corn seeds per acre to accomplish a 300-bushel yield. Do you share that view? Actually, you know, that's that's an interesting question because, I mean, a, a lot of the approaches is that, you know, we'll take and put more plants out there, we'll absorb light more quickly during the season. Uh, you know, last year, uh, you know, we had some 290-bushel yields uh, in some in some of our plot areas that we had only 35, 36,000 plants per acre. And when you start looking at, at the way in which crops develop yield through the whole year, I mean, uh, if you look at corn, you know, that potential ear size is set at the V6 stage. Uh, and so we really don't want that system limited to that point. Uh, and it really make, would make little difference whether you were at 35,000 or 60,000. If I've got a stress early in the season, I've already limited my ear size. Um, and so we've got to have that, that system well prepped to be able to uh, let that plant fully express itself at that time. Uh, we've got to be able to uh, set those kernels when we get to the uh, R1 stage, you know, when it's, it's tasseling and pollinating. And then we've really got to manage it for the rest of the season in terms of achieving that potential uh, all the way through. And, and I think one of the questions, Ken, is how do we understand the, the way a plant sets potential yield? Uh, how does it uh, achieve that potential yield or how do we come close to that? How do we bring these pieces together differently than the way maybe we've been doing? And we can then further answer the question, of, you know, how do we precisely manage the crop, but how do we look at things like plant population from a different perspective? Uh, how do we look at disease management? How do we look at uh, nutrient management from entirely different ways if we come back and ask the question of saying, what prevents this plant from achieving its potential yield uh, at the end of the season? And, and I think those become the real critical questions and the fascinating questions to me because then I think we can more routinely uh, break the 300-bushel barrier. Uh, we could more routinely break the 100-bushel barrier on soybeans. Um, and all of these things that farmers aspire to, but we need to ask different questions about what's our path to getting there. 
Last thing, and that is, do you at USDA and do you feel scientists across the world feel the heat of the production we need to feed 9 billion people by 2050? Oh, I, I think scientists are very aware of that. Uh, I mean, uh, when we've been analyzing that and, and showing that to people, that uh, this yield trend curve that, you know, we have on corn and we have on soybeans and we have on wheat, uh, and looking at what it takes to feed 9 billion people by 2050, uh, it really becomes a, a yield gap, that there's a difference in, in what that trend line looks like and what the needs are uh, for a, nine, a population of 9 billion people. And so it does really force us to come back and look at uh, agricultural systems differently. Uh, I think it, it looks at how we have those inputs because coupled with this, we have a shrinking land base that goes with that. Uh, you know, in areas of the world are running out of, not running out of land, but their land base is going to diminish because we're going to have more and more people on the earth. And so I think we it really takes us back full circle of saying how do we manage our soil resource how do we link our genetic resources with that? How do we put our management all together in a complex? And I think we can achieve that, but I think we're going to have to ask some different questions about what our pathway is to get there. Dr. Jerry Hatfield, thank you very much for being our guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. Are thank you, you again. That's AgriPulse Open Mic for this week, brought to you by Charleston Orwig. Take control of your company's reputation by visiting charlestonorwig.com. I'm Ken Root.